I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, no way. Is it the end of December already? Good grief. But it is. And that means it's time for the Saucer Life Holiday Special. The holiday special is always a special time here on the show because we aren't too serious about things. It's a time for goofiness, by which I mean it's a time for more goofiness than normal. And we've got a a couple things today. Actually, we've got several things for you today. We've got some classic UFO stories that we will definitely be devoting entire episodes to later on down the line. But since they take place during generally this festive season, I thought I would at least give them a nod uh, to one degree or another. We've got some cryptozoological notes and a brief look at some of the modern takes on wintertime cryptids and other mysterious figures. We have a, and you, if you were on social media, you saw a picture of this uh, last week. We got a mysterious cassette tape that came into my possession some time ago, dating from sometime in the early 90s, and that's going to provide some revelations about the alien presence on Earth from an insider, so stay tuned for that. And I also got a mysterious letter in the mail. I, I don't know how I got on this list, but uh, for some reason, I got uh, the family holiday letter from Commander X. Maybe you heard our episode on him. And with that, let's begin the festivities. We're going to start off with a little holiday, uh, holiday uh, cheer here, uh, a little holiday folklore. Many of you may be familiar with a figure known as the Krampus, who in German folklore arrives on, I think it's December 5th, and, uh, and, and stuffs bad kids into a sack, if I, uh, if I remember the folklore correctly. It's one of several examples of, of uh, folk beings who are into abducting people and abducting children. And, and writers such as uh, Joshua Cutchin have talked about this, this folkloric trend of, of child abduction and, and things like that and the, the overlap between folklore and the, uh, the, the world of the, what we might call the modern paranormal. Now, the world of the modern paranormal would not be complete without uh, people publishing books that, uh, that take paranormal concepts, cryptozoological concepts, and um, do weird things with them that probably say a bit too much about their psyche perhaps. And uh, for the first of our examples of this, we have a, a book that is available. I'm not going to link to it because I mean, I think that would make me some kind of pornographer. But uh, we've got uh, a bit from the, the blurb, just the blurb, not the actual book, of A Kiss from Krampus. And just a warning, while there is nothing here that is actually explicit, it is being from a Krampus-themed romance novel, it is a bit suggestive. So if you have have kids listening, um, maybe finish this part up later, or take this opportunity for a a, a talk with your kids about the dangers of modern society, really. Whatever it is that's going on in our world that led to this being a thing. Maybe maybe talk about... uh, sort of the downfall of, of human culture. Two days before Christmas, Maritza stands at her least favorite grandmother's deathbed, where she learns she's inheriting a small gold charm. In the chaos of her grandmother's death, the charm goes missing. When a tall, dark, and furry stranger arrives, Maritza would like to believe it's all a sugar plum-induced hallucination, that she can't pretend she's seeing things when Krampus lays his hands and his impossibly long tongue on her. Krampus insists he's there to reclaim his property and mete out some long overdue punishment. When he discovers his charm is missing, he's reduced to begging for Maritza's help. 
down on his knees in her bedroom, there's something both unseemly and irresistible about Krampus. The horns, the tail, the silky black fur smelling of cloves and oranges. And yes, that lewd, lascivious, and very nimble tongue. Ah, holy night. Yes, everybody, that is a real thing that exists. I did not write that. Um, and I am not entirely responsible for the the gusto with which um, that ending was read. Next, near the end of December in 1980, in the Rendlesham Forest in England, there was a situation near the Bentwaters Air Force Base involving U.S. Air Force personnel who saw amazing lights in the sky that were, to them, unexplainable. This, there were multiple witnesses to this. It's well documented. A few days later, um, an officer, Colonel Holt, went out and recorded on the scene as they were investigating the site and, and checking radiation readings. It's been called Britain's Roswell, which I, I think does... Um, does it as a disservice. It's a much more interesting case than Roswell in some ways, in my opinion. It's especially interesting because there have been some changes in people's stories over the last few years and, and revelations that have come out. And it's one of those stories that is so incredibly um, complex and complicated and also very, very well documented and, and very widely written about that it's it's hard to sort of get a handle on doing an episode about it. But it's it's fascinating and I, I think it's a it's a it's a great story. And one thing I, I, I wanted you know I like plugging things that I like. One thing I would like to plug uh, for your holiday listening is a drama podcast by the uh, the by BBC Radio 4 called collectively the Lovecraft investigations. And what they have done is they've taken HP Lovecraft stories and sort of reinvented them and updated them as a drama. That's supposed to be like a, a true crime podcast. And says this investigation and the second one of these stories, the whisperer in darkness has a very heavy focus on the, the Rendlesham case, uh, Rendlesham forest case from 1980 and sort of works that into this sort of Lovecraftian mythology and that this ongoing thing, there's a link to it in the show notes. It's, it's a hoot. It's, um, it's in some places a, a kind of spooky hoot, but a hoot nonetheless. So the Rendlesham Forest incident near the, the Bentwaters Air Base is a, a fascinating story, and we'll absolutely be doing an episode on it once I've figured out precisely what's going on and find a way to tell all of these cast of characters apart. It's, um, it is almost like the Roswell case in, in one sense, in that it's so massive, I'm almost scared to touch it. But it does have a... Um, a thing where there are people in high places sort of sort of telling what they know and that serves as a segue into our next uh, our next special thing here on the uh, the 2020 saucer live holiday special and that is the cassette tape that i received in the uh, the mail uh, a few weeks ago it's labeled simply three star general recorded um june 1990 and uh, i'm presenting it in, in two parts here is sort of broken up into two parts. It's an interview between somebody named Bill and somebody who is apparently a three-star general with, um, with some stories to tell about what he knows. The quality is as good as I could make it. It, it was on cassette tape. It is 30 years old, but I think you will find it interesting. General, um, have, have you read the book, The Roswell Incident? Yes, I have. As I promised you, I used my contacts and several favors do me over the years, and I found out extremely sensitive information, which absolutely verifies the information as stated in The Roswell Incident. The book intrigued me as I read it. I, at first, I felt the facts, or should I say information, in the book was just there to sell it and make our government out to be the bad guy, as so many books do today. However, the, the public has been lied to for over 40 years. This bothers me a great deal, but decisions were made decades ago, and the situation, in my opinion, is totally out of hand. You, you look concerned and sound irritated. What's wrong? 
Uh, around four months ago, I called in several favors. I was given documents, allowed to view videotape, given photographs, base locations. I was even asked to participate in the awareness program, which is to disseminate alien contact to the public. I turned down the offer. When I did, I was sort of an outcast. I found friends of 30 years had no time for me. My access was limited in every way you could imagine. Hell, every time I requested anything through normal channels, it was either lost or delayed for higher approval. You know, these were normal, everyday decisions, which were never questioned before. I, I, gave, I gave over 30 years of faithful and loyal service to this great country of ours. Who the hell do these political bastards think they are anyway? Wow, I, I don't know what to say. I, I feel that because I asked you these questions, I, I got you into trouble. I, I feel really bad. I know you didn't get where you are today by taking it easy, though. Did you retire? <laughs> you are not responsible. I kind of knew what I might get myself into. I always had my suspicions, and I too heard the rumors about alien spacecraft that crashed, bodies found, alien craft shot down, UFO evidence stored in special buildings on certain military bases. I just never really took it seriously. I'm, I know it's true. I've seen the evidence. I've seen the alien craft, the, the frozen bodies from the Roswell site. And I've seen on videotape the live alien, which is a guest of the U.S. government. To answer your last question, yes, I did retire. So you, you got your pension and everything? Yeah. How about your insurance? Are you on that TRICARE? Or what, what, what are you... Where is this going? I'm just trying to make it more three-dimensional. You, you know, for, for, you know, the... the the listeners. No, never mind. Could you give me some specific information on the aliens? What they want? The government involvement? The reason why we've not officially been told about alien involvement in our society and why all the many strange things are happenings associated with UFO sightings and, and people? Contact with aliens. Just what can you give me? There have been several crashes of UFOs over the years. The aliens really did not have any sort of invasion plan for this planet. Aliens have visited this planet off and on for thousands of years. Our U.S. guest is, is over 300 years old. There are both good and bad aliens, just as there are good and bad humans. They're, they're not all that different than us. The alien, which is the guest of the U.S. government, is five foot three inches tall and weighs 96 pounds. Large head with no hair and large slanted eyes. Some of these aliens' abilities are moderate, telepathy and, and telekinesis. So why are they here? There, there's a lot of stories out there. Do you know what's really going on? Of course I do. I'm trying to tell you. Good Lord, just shut up for a minute. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's just that you're a little long-winded sometimes. What's their plan? The purpose of alien visitation to this planet is one of curiosity and scientific research, not world domination, as some would have you believe. Cattle and humans have been used in alien and U.S. research for various biological applications. Most humans are not hurt in this research and experimentation. Some, however, have died due to complications and downright carelessness. Several crossbreed young have been born to both human females and alien females. We as humans are fully biologically compatible with most visiting aliens. Some were not. More than one type or species of alien has visited this planet. That doesn't make any sense. Which part? The interbreeding part. Are you a three-star general, Bill? No, but... Then shut up. You wanted answers, I'm giving you answers. Shutting up, sir. More than one type of alien has been here. They're listed by category. This information I could not retrieve. Why not? Pardon? You were able to get your hands on all this other stuff, but the list of different aliens was beyond your grasp? Look, you little punk, I don't need to tell you anything. It's a, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I just thought that since Commander X was able to get a hold of a massive list of aliens, that you might have found the same list. Commander who? Co Commander X. He's a uh, high-ranking military intelligence official who's telling the truth to the people about all kinds of stuff. He's got a book in, in stores and everything. Full-page ads in major national papers. What papers? Weekly World News. The 
paper that says aliens met with President Bush and has that terrible advice columnist, I'm beginning to think you are not the best conduit for releasing this information. I, I, I will not have you disparage the good gold dang name of dear Dot, Dottie, sorry. Sorry, I don't know. A, a lot of the stuff just, a lot of his stuff sounds like what you're saying. It's really being corroborated pretty nicely, really. Do you want me to go on explaining what I know, or do you just want to find it all out in the checkout line at the supermarket? Anyway, both us and the British have made secret treaty agreements with the aliens in exchange for technology and so-called recon missions during times of human conflict. The aliens have basically agreed not to concern themselves with the wars or conflicts of humans, not to interfere in society, let the governments rule and decide. Exactly what the aliens get in return was not exactly made clear or available. Oh, so it's like the Prime Directive on Star Trek. Star Trek? Or Star Trek The Next Generation. Either one. Both. Are you some kind of idiot? I'm, I'm sharing vital information about our contact with extraterrestrials, and you bring up Star Trek? Now, there are special teams which eradicate, discredit, harass, and make trumped-up charges to control humans which experience any visitations from aliens or make verifiable UFO sightings. This is one of the reasons I retired. It's too much for any government to impose upon the civilian population like this. Wow. Wow. Okay, I have, I have one more question. Um, why all the secrecy from day one about the alien contact, the, the Roswell incident, UFOs, and so on? So, the Roswell incident happened at a very hectic time. Make no mistake, President Truman and later President Eisenhower gave specific, direct orders to keep everything, and I mean everything, top secret. At that time, all alien, known as EBE information, became departmentalized. Do, 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 do you mean compartmentalized? Will you shut up, man? The special group assigned to oversee the alien situation and other government VIPs agreed to gather all of the technology possible and put it to use for the benefit of the USA. I really wonder what other motives are there. One very important thought about reasons for secrecy are common religious values and beliefs. Most of the world religions, especially in the US, would tumble. This in turn would cause panic and chaos, something not wanted or needed in any time. Why, why would religions tumble? What? Why would religions tumble? I mean, in one form or another, religions have withstood every new bit of knowledge that's come along. You know, the earth not being flat, um, rain being water from the sky, fire being something you could start with a stick. I mean, why would aliens change that? Well, it's obvious. Really? Look, I've seen a lot of documents, okay? Now, my information led me to other more graphic reasons that I really don't want to discuss. This whole situation is fantastic enough, and the implications are endless. Well, th thanks for your time and, and this timely information. I, um, I'll, even, I'll even pay for your coffee. I, I, I know that I'm, I'm pushing it a bit here, but could, could you go into some of the other topics that seem to be eating away at you? Because you seem, you, you seem agitated, General. Let, let's take a break from this interview for now. It's after 11 p.m., and I'm tired. I'll... I'll give you a call in a few days, and we'll go from there. You know, there. you don't have to tell me the time. I, I, I'm wearing a watch, you know. I, okay. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, I better get going, too. I've uh, got a lot of work to do in the morning. Really? No. Mysterious revelations. There was a note included with the tape. I, uh, I'm going to share that with you at the end. We'll be looking at the, the second talk between the general and bill in the second part of the episode and now for the second of our several examples of how traditional folkloric concepts can be turned into just the the trashiest thing imaginable this is the blurb for a book called krampus and the crone can a horned alien warrior and an isolated woman grant two children their holiday wish for a family? Jael is lonely. 
ostracized by the village. Like her mother and grandmother before her, she poses as an old witch in order to eke out a meager living selling herbal remedies to people who don't want to admit they need her help. When children start disappearing from the village, she is determined to find an answer to the riddle. She doesn't expect to find a massive horned alien, one who sees through all her disguises. Since crash landing on KRS-3, Commander Krampusarian DeMarchander spends his time working on his ship and secretly observing the other inhabitants. During his explorations, he discovers a strange, beautiful female. It is an impossible attraction. But when he sees her treatment at the hands of the other villagers, he decides she is his to protect. A sweet and steamy holiday tale featuring two precocious orphans, a determined heroine, an unexpected hero, and, of course, a very happy ending. The Krampus and the Crone, everyone. Yikes. Well, this is going to be it for 2020 and what we've been calling Series 9. Um, Not that. There's still another chunk of the episode to come. This is our little intermission. We'll be taking uh, two weeks off from our regular schedule as as a holiday hiatus. And we'll be back in 2021 with all sorts of uh, fun stuff for you. Keep an eye on the podcast feed, though. There is uh, probably going to be some surprises here or there, some little treats, some stocking stuffers, some saucer stocking stuffers here and there. Uh, Possibly not promoted on social media because my goal is to be off social media for a couple weeks. Just, you know, little sort of hiatus minis or something like that. You can check out past episodes, read some reviews of saucer-related stuff, and support the show at saucerlife.com or through the link in the show notes. Thank you very much to those who've donated in the past. As always, we appreciate it very much. And we are on Twitter and Saucergram at SaucerLife, unless we're not, because I'm taking a little break over the holidays, like I said. Uh, And you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post with mysterious cassette tapes uh, at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. The Saucer Life is available wherever you can find podcasts. And now, let's get back to the program. Okay, and we're back. And it's time for the second part of the taped interview between Bill and the mysterious three-star general. Uh, thank, thank you for agreeing to a, a second interview on the topic. Um, did you enjoy your trip to the mountains? How did you know I went to the mountains? Um, you told me when we were setting up the interview. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Yes, uh, yeah, my wife and I had a wonderful time. Now... To get started with this, there have been several UFO crashes, not just the one in Roswell, New Mexico. Look at the documents I brought with me. The photos are quite explicit to the cargo of some of the UFOs. Wait, wait, wait. Why are, why are there children aboard these, these crafts? My God, you don't mean the aliens are snatching our kids. I mean, what for? Why? There are over a million missing children every year in the U.S. alone. Now, not all of them have been taken by aliens. Aliens take about 2,200 children a year from the U.S. and and other countries. It's all right there in the report attached to the three photos. The rest of the missing children are the result of mankind's dark side, you know what I mean? Not really. What, What do you mean? Really? You naive doof, I'm talking about perverts. Serial killers, not not just aliens. Everything's always aliens with you, Bill. But they they take the kids, too. Same thing as adults. Experimentation, study, they're they're educated and returned. You know, adults are one matter, but but leave leave the the children alone. I'm, I'm really bothered by this information. According to the report, implants, implants are being used on the people taken aboard UFOs and returned. Some of these implants are microscopic in size and smaller and influence the, the growth function and, and learning capabilities of the individual this is 
gosh, this is a, a very detailed report. Can I have a copy? No. Sorry, but you know our agreement was that you did not get to keep or copy any paperwork, as well as the other matters we discussed. I thought I made myself clear. What's wrong with you? You gonna blab about this to someone? No, no, of course not. Probably. By God, you better not, you dumb SOB. Be a hell of a thing if you talked. Hell of a thing. The things I've seen them do to people. You ever see someone turn a human into a cloud of yellowy green mist just by looking at them? Anyway, some other stuff I thought you should know. Abductions of humans are both random and selective. Influential people are selected to either explain and guide the public or to serve some political meter requirement. UFO sightings increase when needed to draw the attention of the public. You, you must keep in mind that the mere mention of UFOs, aliens, and the like will draw weird looks and rumors and make people believe that you have a mental problem, not playing with a full deck of cards and so forth. People will make fun of you and laugh at you. This is the most important aspect. And who wants to be laughed at when they're serious? The result is not one will say anything unless there are many witnesses. The unique thing about this subject is people don't want to believe. The general feeling is that mankind is all. There's nothing else but God and country. This is what most people believe. I'm not disputing or disagreeing with anything. I just find it amazing that people in general are so stupid and stubborn, let alone that many are so pompous and self-righteous about their religion and self-image. Do these people have a rude awakening someday? It can surely be said that we are not alone in this universe. Can you show me some photos of UFOs? You just can't let a man pontificate, can you? Gotta look at pictures like some kind of toddler. Fine. Here. Oh, oh my god. I can't believe these photos. This looks like something right out of, right out of the movies. The other report information that's stapled to the photos, it's, it's I don't know, looking at it, and I, I don't have time to read it here, I'm sort of looking through it, you know, for the benefit of, of any listeners who might someday hear this. Um, it's very detailed. The information is both fantastic and very scary. I, I wish I could share the proof that I'm now holding in my hands. You unmitigated moron. What did I say? Well, um... What? did I say? I, I, I know. I, I won't ask again. You have to get this evidence back where it belongs before it's noticed missing, don't you? Yes, I do. If this documentation ever got out, I'm sure several individuals would be terminated. Possibly me. Definitely you. Me? Why? Because I'd flip on you so fast your head would spin. Remember that. <laughs> Maybe we ought to wrap this issue up. I really hate to be sour about this subject. But the people of this planet have a God-given right to the truth. Many people will not believe what has been stated herein. Many questions are raised and cannot be answered. Certainly not to the satisfaction of many. Until the day comes when the big announcement and or experience happens to you, the individual, you will be too busy and skeptical just like I was. Thank you for, for everything you've done for me. As I agreed to do earlier... I will edit out the graphic details and other information you requested to, to cover your identity and, and prevent the people who helped you obtain the information from being suspected. I'm well aware that there are no guarantees when this information hits the media. I just hope that the people involved with this whole UFO-alien-government connection will come forward and let the world know. I feel that mankind will become mature enough to think before acting in the coming decade of the 1990s. Well... I know that, for my part, I think there are fewer things more noble than what you're doing, General, to, to come out here and to share this information with, with me and potentially with other people around the world. People will never hear the tape, and you know I might be able to type up a transcript and, and send it to a, to a bulletin board somewhere. So thanks for everything you've done. And if you wake up tomorrow with a bullet in your head and I never hear from you again, I'll know that everything you told me was true. Thank you, General. Thank you.
Okay, so I got a letter with this tape, and I'm going to read that to you now. Um, none of the usual ambient noise for this one, just uh, just the letter itself. Now, I do have to say that the letter is handwritten, and so if I, I stumble or, or, or something, it's because I'm trying to uh, I'm still trying to figure out what it says in some points. There was no return address. It was unsigned. It was postmarked in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, but I... I don't know. You can postmark anything anywhere if you're willing to drive far enough. But here's the letter. Hello. First of all, I wanted you to know that you're not the only one receiving this tape. This copy is going to a number of people who are interested in the subject. The tape was recorded by my brother Bill in 1990. At least that was what was written on the original tape. Bill was an interesting guy. He ran a UFO newsletter And I remember him telling me he put out a call in it for anybody who knew the truth about UFOs to contact him if they wanted to get the message out. And apparently someone did. I remember Bill being very excited before he went to talk to this general. Bill was about 27 at the time. I was a few years younger, and I remember that he was always really into the stuff and and really enthusiastic. But at the same time, he had kind of a smart mouth on him, and that could get him into trouble. After the recording was made, I do know that he did type up a transcript, more or less, and posted it onto bulletin board systems. The transcript is is pretty much what you hear on the tape, but he did make some changes. He stopped doing his newsletter soon after that and really kind of fell out of the whole UFO thing for a while. I'm not sure why exactly, but I think the fact that people didn't really seem to take his interview with the so-called general seriously had a lot to do with it. I'm not saying that Bill wanted to be some kind of UFO superstar, but he was very disheartened by the fact that nobody really seemed to care about what he and the general had to say. He used to say that he thought he was guaranteed a speaking slot at a UFO convention because his name was Bill, and then he'd laugh, but I don't really get the joke because I'm not into the UFO thing. Anyway, Bill died in 1993. He had just made another attempt to get the information on the tape out to a wider audience, and he sent the cassette tape to some radio host. I, I think it was Art Bell, but I'm not sure. In any case, I don't know how popular Art Bell was in 1993. We listened to him because we were in northern Arizona and we could sometimes pick up his show. I really only listened to it when Bill was around, though. Anyway, about six weeks after he sent the tape to Art or whoever it was, Bill changed. He got paranoid, said people were coming after him and that the general had warned him and that he was scared. I was worried about him, but he was always an anxious guy. One night, about three in the morning, I got a phone call that Bill had been hit by a car while walking along the highway, and to this day, I have no idea why he was out at night walking on the highway. I'm not saying someone took him out, but I don't know. This tape was with his things that I received when my parents cleaned out his apartment. He never told me to give it to anybody, but he never told me not to. I've sent it to a few people. I'm not going to tell you who, but like you, there are people in the UFO scene that I've heard of or seen on YouTube or a a radio show or something. I think Bill would have enjoyed listening to. I started paying attention to the UFO stuff more after he died, just to sort of help remember him. You're free to do with this tape what you want, but I urge you to be careful. And that's the letter. Um, I'm not sure reading the letter and playing the tape is the most careful thing I've ever done, but th- there's really no I- identifying um, identifying information there. I did find, I think, the actual document that was uploaded to uh, various bulletin board systems, and I put a link to that in the show notes. And next, I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit after that, and we've got one more romance novel blurb, not about the Krampus this time, but about another uh, interesting and vital piece of holiday folklore. Uh, this um, This is In Love with Santa. Do you believe in Santa? Yeah, Chris doesn't either. But since his ship got stranded above Earth and an anti-gravity accident left him with flying reindeer, he's decided to make the legend come to life. The presents he brings aren't the traditional dolls and rocking horses. Instead, he finds kids who need help, serious help, and gives it to them. Cancer cured, houses fixed, parents healed. There's one little girl he helped years ago who he kept tabs on, and she's grown into a beautiful woman. 
He's forced himself to keep his distance, but when an equipment malfunction gets him stuck in a chimney, Blitzen brings her to his rescue. Will she be able to accept him, or will the truth of his identity drive her away? In Love with Alien Santa Claus is a standalone science fiction holiday romance story that features a loving human female and a generous alien. This page-turning science fiction romance story has no cliffhanger, no cheating, and a guaranteed happy ending. Buy it today. I don't know, sort of saying that the book has a guaranteed happy ending seems a, a little a little spoilery. Um, I don't know, that's just me. Not my type of literature, but... Uh, Chris, the alien who becomes Santa Claus. That's, that's great. Now, around the same time as things were hopping in the Rendlesham Forest, two women in Texas, Betty Cash and Vicki Landrum, had an experience of their own. We saw a bit of the Cash-Landrum incident in our episode on the Weekly World News, but this summary by investigator John Schusler is nice and succinct. Two women and a small boy left their home in Dayton, Texas on December 29, 1980, intending to play bingo in nearby New Caney. Unfortunately, fate had something else in store for them. Driving along a dark and deserted road, they encountered a huge glowing diamond in the sky, the object stopping over the road, belching flames downward, causing the car to heat up. Betty Cash, the driver, left the car and walked a short distance toward the object. She held her arm up in front of her face to shield her from the heat and glare, but this was no help. The exposure left her burned so badly that large blisters swelled up on her head and face. The skin under the ring on her finger was cooked raw. This was only the beginning. Later, her hair fell out, and her health deteriorated to the point where she was unable to ever work again. Her friend Vicki Landrum and grandson Colby remained outside the car only a short time because Colby was so terrified. This proved to be a good move because their injuries were not nearly as severe as those reported by Mrs. Cash. After months of headaches, degrading eyesight, loss of appetite, and skin burns, they have nearly recovered. What was the huge object that turned an evening of fun into a nightmare? They're not sure, but they believe the United States government knows because more than 20 large double roto helicopters rushed to accompany the object away in the direction of the Gulf of Mexico. It is doubtful that the victims were mistaken about the strange object of the helicopters because the whole incident lasted more than 20 minutes. The object was as close as 150 yards and some of the helicopters came within a few hundred feet of the car. The injuries sustained by the trio have been fully documented and the scars are still visible today. Some other witnesses have come forward to verify the story, but no government agency will accept responsibility or offer help. The Air Force rejected a claim for damages on the basis that, quote, the attendant facts failed to establish that the unidentified flying object or the helicopters were owned or operated by the U.S. government, end quote. The victims have always been patriotic Americans and were crushed by the fact that their government seems to have written them off as unimportant. Mrs. Landrum speculates that some of the helicopter crews may have been harmed in a similar manner and may not know the cause of their injuries. She would like to talk with them and share her experiences. In some small way, this could be helpful. She says, quote, no one should have to suffer like we did and have no one to turn to in a time of need, end quote. She may be contacted through the writer of this column. You may direct any questions or inquiries to Mr. John Schusler, P.O. Box 58485, Houston, Texas, 77258. It's a fascinating UFO story, and we're probably going to get to an episode on it at some point in 2021. But what fascinated me most about this story in this particular instance on this particular day that I looked at it is that it appeared in the Houston Gulf edition of the Bingo Bugle in 1983, which sort of explains the bingo reference right off the bat. And it makes it makes sense. At first, I was a little confused and concerned. But if he is looking for other people in the Houston Gulf region readership of the Bingo Bugle who might have seen the same sort of thing on the same night, it is a good place to sort of target that audience. I'm not sure if his effort bore any fruit, but it might have been better if he would have done it a little sooner than three years after, well, really two years after the event. So this being the show it is and me being the person I am, I went down the rabbit hole of the Bingo Bugle. By 1986, it was doing huge business with a story about it in the uh, Dallas Times-Herald being picked up by papers around the country. Bingo Bugle taps market nationally. Where can you divine your gambling fortunes by the stars? Read an obituary about the man who turned bingo into a national pastime and read an advice columnist who doles out her counsel under the nom de plume of Aunt Bingo. 
Where else but the Bingo Bugle, a national newspaper with local editions that cater exclusively to the growing legions of men and women who nurse a burning passion for the game of bingo. This is no ordinary newspaper. It is a frothy tabloid published monthly and filled with features to titillate its readers. They are a different breed of newspaper reader. Frothy and titillating. Now, I'm not sure I've ever associated those words with bingo. And um, when I looked at the Bingo Bugle, which is still published today, I looked at the most recent issue from that same Houston region. That was around March 2020. Uh, I did not see anything frothy or titillating in it. Now, I was hoping there would be a more recent issue uh, than March 2020, but I assume the events of this year kind of quashed the bingo world, which is why there wasn't anything published afterwards. Although this publication is on the web as an up-to-date PDF file, it's it looks like something out of another time, like, like 1983. There's ads for local bingo halls, which makes sense, alongside numerous letter and advice columns and opinion pieces like this one from the Bob on Bingo column. When was the last time you brought someone new to bingo? For many of us, it's been a very long time. As the weather gets better, we are getting closer to the start of the travel season. Many of us will be having friends and relatives in from out of town, or we will be traveling to some distant city. This would be a perfect time to introduce our friends and relatives to bingo. If they're coming to your town, you already know where and when the bingo sessions are. If you're traveling to a distant city, it's easy to go to an internet search engine and find out when and where bingo is being played in the place you plan to visit. So many bingo halls have either closed or cut back on sessions. We all need to support the game we love so much to make sure it remains around forever. One other thing. The other night, I got yelled at because of the way I reacted the first time N40 was called. After the caller announced the number, I shouted, 40? Since shouting when N40 is called is such a sacred part of bingo, I guess I need to re-explain how that custom started. From what I hear, it started at a senior center in Fontana, California in the late 1960s. Many of the people there were just finishing up supper, preparing for the start of bingo. At the end of the meal, the conversation turned to Jack Benny, the comedian who always claimed to be 39 years old. Someone in the group said, now if he were 40, that would really be old. Within a minute, the caller started the game. The first ball out was N40. All the people who'd been talking about Jack Benny shouted, 40! And that's how it all started. See, as someone who's never been to a bingo hall and is only engaged with bingo at the most casual level, people randomly shouting 40 because of a story from a senior center from the 1960s would be very off-putting to me. These bingo hall gatekeepers with their strange rituals are killing the hobby and stifling growth. The Bingo Bugle also has some paranormal content. I'm going to say that again. The Bingo Bugle also has some paranormal content. Mostly, this takes the form of horoscopes, lucky numbers, things like that. But also, there is a dream interpretation column um, with the dream guy. Now, Sherry from Ashland, Oregon, has a dream she would like interpreted. Dear Dreamcatcher, First, I want to say how much I look forward to your column. I don't always understand or agree with your ideas, but I love thinking about and reading about dreams. So I was excited when I had this dream last night. And boy, oh boy, it's a strange one. The dream starts in an ordinary way, where I'm sitting at the kitchen in the early morning like I do every morning, having coffee and waiting for the moment I need to go upstairs and get my husband up to make his bus on time. But when I look at the clock, it reads 12 o'clock but it is 12 midnight. I feel alarmed about the strange shift, but also about my husband not getting off to his job. And then, just as I get ready to stand up, a small person, I guess it's okay to use the word dwarf, comes out of the cupboard area that is beneath my kitchen sink. He is very handsome and dressed in a tiny tuxedo. As he approaches me, I feel a wonderful sweetness in my heart. Just as he touches my knee, I wake up. Can you help me with this dream, please? That's weird. Here's the dream guy's response. Hello, Sherry. Thank you for submitting your dream, and I'm happy you enjoy this column's dream explorations. I'll start with the part of the dream that marks a shift from the normal to the unusual, and that would be the time shift from morning to midnight. In simple terms, this is the dream's manner of leaving your familiar world and moving directly into your unconscious, where the gold within dreams resides. Generally speaking, your dream's theme involves the world of relating, First, there is the usual day-to-day partnership with your husband, 
but also a new kind of intimacy, symbolized by the small man touching your knee. Our culture often associates dwarves with the world of fairy tales, and this could be your association too. There is much to be made of the contact between you and the small man. As a dream figure, he might be inviting you to consider aspects of life that seem magical or fantastical, when in fact they are just a different side of life. I will take a guess and say this dream is also alerting you to see beauty in places or within relationships that you might miss or avoid. The little man's comeliness is a clue to why I read your dreams this way. That you described a sweetness arising in your heart tells me that if you can allow yourself to explore life, perhaps through traveling to unfamiliar places or just studying cultures that are different from your own, you will encounter kindness and compassion along the way. What a wonderful message and messenger. Fairy tales and little people and passing from one phase of existence to another. If Sherry had posted about this dream on Twitter, I assume she would have been inundated with about 15 people who demanded that she read Passport to Magonia or something. Okay. Now, I don't care what anybody says. I enjoy getting people's holiday letters, uh, especially if they're people who aren't on social media and I don't know what's been going on with them for the last year, especially this year, which has been unusual to say the least. So when I was sorting through the pile of, of holiday and Christmas letters that showed up here, I was surprised to find one without a, uh, without a postmark, without a stamp, without a return address, without my address fully on it. It just said saucer life. And it was a holiday letter from Commander X and Commander X's family. Very surprised, but there we are. So um, I'm not trying to imitate Commander X's voice, for no one has ever heard it, but this is me reading Commander X's letter to you. Happiest of season's greetings. It's been an eventful year here in the X home, as I'm sure it has been for you as well. 2020 was full of trouble for a lot of us, but in the midst of all the chaos, we're still thankful for the blessings we have. Sally and I celebrated 40 years of marriage this year, and I can't tell you how much I value her love and support, especially for my career. As you can imagine, when I told her I was going to betray my sacred oath to our nation and publish the most shocking and devastating classified information possible about our nation's collusion and collaboration with evil extraterrestrials, she was a little worried. But she's a trooper. From dealing with my profound personality changes after being abducted, or, and then, you know, the trauma of experiencing the information overload of the alien information matrix, from that to having to change our names and move across the country every few years to keep ahead of those who would shut me up, she's been with me every step of the way. She's even a good sport about the endless night screaming I've been doing since that initial abduction. Like she says, Give me earplugs and a box of wine and I can sleep through anything. As many of you know, we've been here in for a few months now, and Sally is very active in volunteer work for the local food bank, as well as working part-time in the county clerk's office. I probably shouldn't say this, but she's been able to smuggle out some astounding top-secret information from the zoning board that will form the basis of my upcoming book, Zoning. America's Communism, an intelligence insider exposes the New World Order's plan to increase the number of lots designated for light industrial use. Oh, and the kids are doing great too. Mike is still in school part-time, and he told us he changed his major to street pharmacology. I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds like it'll lead to a great career in the medical field. By the way, if you haven't gotten my book, Alien Drugs, an intelligence insider exposes the New World Order's plan to implement and track Americans through extraterrestrial multivitamins. Please contact me. They're $12.95, and I'll be sure to autograph your copy. Big news from our Janet this year, too. She got married. Because of the public health crisis going on, there was no big ceremony, but she tells us that the leader of the compound she's been living in loves her very much, and she's so happy being one of his... I think spirit brides is what she said. He sounds like a great guy. Not only does he run his own compound, I assume that's some sort of new marketing name for an apartment complex or a condo association. You know, there's big money in real estate, folks, and I, 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 I'm excited for that. Besides all that, he's um, a channel for one of the senior Nordic extraterrestrial leaders who are, of course, protecting our planet from various evil extraterrestrials. Now, it's not all happiness for the X family though. Our baby boy, our Gus, has been going through some tough times. You know, if, if you know him, he takes after his old man and that's gotten him in some trouble. 
Now, I'd used some of my many connections to get Gus an internship at one of the secret government's many underground bases. I know what you're saying. How is that possible? Didn't you betray the secret government? Didn't you expose them in your many, many best-selling books that can be purchased directly from you for only $12.95 with an autograph? Yep, that's all true. But I do still have some friends in those facilities who have been instrumental in feeding me information over the years. One of these good friends from those days got our Gus a job. Now, Gus saw some things in that underground base, things he shouldn't have. And like me, he decided to warn the American people. Unfortunately, he did it on Twitter under his real name. The selfie with the vat full of cloned alien hybrids didn't really help matters. We haven't heard from Gus in a while. (laughs) Anyway, enough doom and gloom. I don't want to be a, a Debbie Downer during this holiday season. We hope you're well, and all of us here wish you a healthy and happy 2021. Love, Commander X, Sally, Mike, Janet, And if he's out there, Gus. Thanks for listening. And thanks for sticking with us through what has been a crazy year for so many. A lot of credits for this episode. The Saucer Life 2020 Holiday Special featured book blurb readings by Roberta Evangeline Straith, reading from A Kiss from Krampus, and Sasha Gimlinson with Krampus and the Crone. Roberta also played the part of Sherry, who dreamed about the little person in the tuxedo. The interview with the mysterious general was adapted from a text file uploaded to the Paranet BBS by Don Ecker in 1990, and there's a link to it in the show notes so you can see exactly what uh, I wrote and what um, the original author wrote, or I'm sorry, I should be clear, what the general said. The associate producer and piano player, you can hear him there, of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III, who also played the role of the three-star general. Uh, We thank our erstwhile uh, compatriot reader, Nelson Sinat, uh, for his contributions over the years. Uh, Nelson has uh, moved on from the um, world of helping out with the saucer life. Um, it was an amicable split, but he felt that we weren't taking the subject of UFOs seriously enough, um, which he's got a point. Additional on-site recording was handled via the Chizo Media Mobile Studio, as well as the individual efforts of our cast, and we do appreciate their forbearance Um, as we try to get everything sounding as good as it could. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC, working for the good of mankind along the lines of truth. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because Krampus is kind of a pervert.